Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What's good, Internet? It's March 17th, 2023, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 550. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Patrick Klapek. Hello. Renata Price. Howdy. Uh, so this is like, you know, obviously I'm still working tomorrow. I'll definitely be here. I'll be online checking messages. Oh, wow. High uh, school, like uh, end of the summer, high school Rob is or like kind of the feeling at the end of a in between jobs or, you know, just like, hmm, I'm here. But am I here? Yeah, I'm exactly. On. We just uh, but yeah, so I'm about to about to take a glorious week off. And, you know, I think in that week. I'll be able to real, really put a dent in that old backlog. You know, I got a whole little vacation plan. Uh, is this is this Christmas vacation part two? Because famously, if we we rewind, you were robbed. Rob was robbed of a Christmas vacation. You got sick, and the glorious you know week in front of you taken away. And I don't. I feel like now I'm cursing it. Like I, I you're gonna have a great week. That is what's gonna happen. You're gonna do whatever you want. Have I think you're cursing it time. harder now, but I do appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> hey, ooh, I should be careful what I say here, but I'm pretty sure you're gonna have a really special week. You know what I mean? It's gonna, it's gonna be memorable. You're gonna spend a lot of time on the couch relaxing, Rob. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll bet you're gonna get tons of sleep. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look. I think it's fitting enough because that Christmas tree is still up. Is it going to uh, come down? Is this the make it or break it moment for ye old Christmas tree? All right, or so are you- between me and taking the Christmas tree down, I got to do something that I'm like really been dreading, which is mm-hmm. go into it's it's kind of a closet that turns into a crawl space. We call it like the Unter Stair because uh, our, our stairway like makes <laughs> of course a turn. You do. A fucking course you do. And. Uh, as the ceiling gets lower, we use it less and less, and the mice mm-hmm. use it more, and maybe various other critters too. But like, I like this is my big like. Some tasks are not that big, but you do need to book an entire week off to ensure they will get done because there's mm-hmm. gonna be like two or three days where you're like, this just in the day for doing that task. This is just not. I am not going to ruin my. <laughs> Rob, my Rob licks, licks a finger, puts it to the wind, and goes no. Today is not the day that I look at that. <laughs> Today uh, is the day that I watch Master and Commander. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I think I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go in there and unload like what's been in ancient, like creepy storage for ages, and then we'll see if there's a if there's a little spot for a Christmas tree uh, back there. So that's Aww. my that that's my big objective. But again, like you know that that backlog is a calling. Uh, and yeah, I just don't know if uh, 
five days just might, just might not be enough, you know. And, and maybe that Christmas tree is going to have to roll right on over to Easter, you know. I mean, that just might have to happen. MK was suggesting that we could like put alternate decorations on it, like give it a jersey swap. <sighs> I have not done uh, – I've been very uh, attracted to the notion – I don't know what people call it, but it's essentially like a Halloween tree. Um, uh, there's an actual term tree. for it. Um, but it's where people will get like – not a big one, but usually like a smaller one and we'll put like Halloween-centric ornaments all over it. And like that is the, the purpose uh, I feel like a tree. Halloween tree is like a spooky like uh, empty birch. Right, it is kind of <laughs> like that. That, that yeah, it feels doesn't have, like yeah, a, it, it is meant to, like you're usually not buying an actual tree, like, but it, you know, you're buying something to to hang things up. But yes, it is frequently like a tree with no branches or leaves, and you are just hanging it off, or it just has the branches rather. Um, no, no needles, no, no leaves, and and that is the the aesthetic. Um, so you know, you're just headed in that direction, and and why not? Absolutely. Uh, so I'm 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 so eager to to get rolling uh, on this break but we got some we got some business to take care of first and Ren, I wanted to start with you today cuz this touches on business and touch on business <laughs> going a bit wrong keep saying uh, business or maybe also working as intended who can say but Ren, can you tell us a little bit about well first like bleak faith forsaken like why yeah. is this an interesting game to talk about cuz like lots of games get tagged for asset ripping and such but like yeah. uh t- let's talk a little bit about like why this game is interesting in the first place and then kind of what brewed up uh, over the last week So bleak faith forsaken was a, or is an indie uh, souls like that has been like in development for the last like 4 or so years uh it has like gotten a couple of trailers and like was it has a striking enough visual design that it managed to get people really paying attention to it. Uh, it's visual design is like, I'll be honest, some of the best I've seen in games in years. It's, it's kind of staggering at times. Uh, and so that like really striking visual design combined with a couple of like control elements, uh, led to it being like, uh, this like indie souls, like made by three people on the books, uh, that has that like managed to garner some attention, right? And so it had like an actual publisher behind it. It has like a PR team and everything. Great, cool, 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 cool. Uh, it comes out, uh, and immediately after releasing, uh, players start to identify that there are some animations that are uncomfortably similar between Elden Ring and Bleak Faith Forsaken. After about mm, an hour or two of research, people realize that they are not just similar animations, but one-to-one ripped from uh, Elden Ring. Uh, This leads to a controversy where the developers go, whoa, 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 sorry, we did not mean to do this because these assets were purchased from the Unreal Marketplace because Bleak Faith Forsaken runs in UE5. Uh, And to cut down on development time, they bought a bunch of uh, Epic Store, like Unreal Marketplace assets. Those assets were had been ripped from Elden Ring. Uh, apparently. Which you say is like very normal, right? Yeah. Like, it, yeah. especially for smaller teams, like accessing asset libraries, whether Unity has a huge storefront for things like this, like Epic has mm-hmm. it as well. Like, that is, it is not uncommon to Mm-mm. go shopping in these places to find ways to sort of like buttress your game, especially if you're a smaller team that can't necessarily do everything handcrafted and unique. Right, exactly. And also, like, this is common practice, like, even in AAA development, just in a slightly different way, right? Development gets outsourced all of the time. It's just contracting a bespoke thing from a person as opposed to going to someone and asking for a specific asset that they have, right? Like, 
a game being made by more than the people who are in the credits, which is a major issue because there's a crediting problem in the games industry writ large. Um, well, the studio always gets credited, but the people who work at the studio often won't get credited. Exactly. And like, if you work for the outsourcing firm, they do, you don't get credited for working for the outsourcing firm. Exactly. Uh, and which is all to say that, uh, you know, it, it can often be unclear who is making the actual uh, game that you're playing or the assets that you are interacting with in game, which is what led to uh, accusations of intentional uh, plagiarism and asset theft uh, towards the Bleak Faith Forsaken devs. Uh, the devs responded by releasing a statement saying that they were escalating the situation to Epic to be like, hey, uh, the people seem to be correct. These look like stolen assets. Can you give us some idea of what to do here? Uh, to which Epic said, no, we can't. Uh, it's not our fault and it's not our problem. Um, if you used assets that... Um, were were copyrighted because we can't like check to see if things are mm -hmm. actually infringing copyright or not um at least that is what the the company claims uh, and so then the devs were like okay cool looks like we have to to be safe remove every single uh, unreal marketplace asset from this game uh and start to start like the work of replacing them uh with our like our own bespoke animations or animations that we have 100 verified are uh, safe to use, which is especially difficult in this case because, you know, Bleak Faith Forsaken is a Souls-like, which means that its combat is fundamentally animation-driven, right? Like, this is not just like, oh, we can we can quickly switch out, like, you know, a couple of assets. It's like, oh, cool, this is going to alter weapon balancing to some degree. We are, we are talking about changing hitboxes in this game. Um, and so, uh, yeah, they did that almost immediately. It's kind of astounding the speed with which they... Um, uh, put in a new set of animations. Uh, there was also a secondary controversy uh, because the game's perk, um, like perk icons, were AI generated art. Mm -hmm. uh, and people got mad about that. Uh, and that was also fixed within 24 hours uh, of the devs being like, okay, no, we can't, we, we shouldn't use AI generated art for this because people are mad about it. And then they made new icons for all of the perks that are much more in line with the game's art style. Um, and so both of these things have kind of marred uh, the release of an otherwise uh, extremely messy but fascinating video game. That's the second uh, High on Life, the uh, game from uh, late last year that also used AI art, I think, in in order to generate like some of the posters that they were like mm -hmm. creating for like the fake movies that like existed in that world. That feels like something that's not going away. Like I, that is, I, I understand that they took it out here. I think yeah. that's a losing fight in terms of yeah. um, it will. You know, I, there, you know, there's all sorts of very legitimate ethical. Like I, I'm following all those conversations, but at the end, of the, for, especially for smaller teams, if you can have things made in, in a manner like that, I feel like that's it's just a matter of figuring out what is the line that people are riding. But I feel like that is here to stay to, to some degree or another. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but it does seem like uh, there's just going too many like the incentives are such that people are going to use it for uh, things like that, especially because, you know, in addition to like there's a degree of friction that comes with mm -hmm. like anything we're contracting out uh to other folks like that turns into its own source of like admin overhead and friction and so i don't understand for like where f especially for like 
I don't know that oh, I don't know that like main icons people are looking gonna be looking at a lot in the game is the place to like uh, <laughs> do right. shortcuts here, but like just you know random bits of incidental like decoration in the world I can see where you end up being like we don't actually care that much about how this looks it just needs to have something like, just got to go there yeah and I don't want to like track down like uh, you know artists through their through their portfolios and like or, or pay for an them. asset right like that would yeah. be that's that's what's interesting about like kind of what happened here is that that those are different solutions to similar problems is we do mm-hmm. not have the capability resources or the resources we do have we want to apply elsewhere and so you start looking at other routes in order to accomplish your goal and that may be purchasing an asset from a marketplace like epic or you know using another tool um like a sort of like ai art generation to to accomplish it do do we know if that asset has been taken down from the store as a result oh, yeah. does it still exist okay it, it has been taken down uh epic didn't say anything when they took it down uh mm-hmm. they did not even say anything to the devs afterwards uh yeah. in a statement uh from their uh uh pr team uh from the from the devs they were basically like yeah epic didn't tell us anything uh we sp- we put in a request asking them to fix it uh, or do something about it uh, and then nothing happened uh, and then a few days passed, uh, and then it was gone without any information. And then Epic gave us like no additional like. I wonder if it's like a legal liability issue. Like admit nothing, just remove the thing that is offending, and move on. You know, w- with your life. Like the moment that you put out a statement to the press and start getting on the record about things, that start- that starts to create a uh, yep. <laughs> uh, uh, a bar that people have to hold you to uh, in the future. But it would make certainly make me think twice about you know what you're purchasing from yeah. that store if it's that uh, easy to get it through that is what that's the, the question said. is this an exception to the rule or or is this rampant i have no idea that's completely basis speculation on my part i mean the games devs were like we are never going to be using the assets st- the unreal marketplace again and we recommend other people do not either because it is just you cannot actually approach buying things in good faith that is at least the the line that the development studio uh, ended up taking. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I buy that. Their maximum defense, though. Like, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't buy that for a second. <laughs> but I do think you know the epic will not want regular ways of stories like this because if it does yes. become a recurring problem where people like buy something off that store and then they're getting uh tagged for asset rips down down the road that will like people will eventually like look at that as a marketplace where you really can't do business yeah. um you know that's good like it will be the um like if like for instance if you do like technical or precision work uh you know these days increasingly you can't order from amazon right? right because like the counterfeiting problem is bad enough that like you can't trust what you are getting there and amazon fundamentally doesn't care because like all the churn is is good for good for them but it does mean that like there's entire like classes of business now that can't look at Amazon as like a supply source because it is too dodgy. And I think like, you know, Epic's in this weird place of everyone wants to across a variety of industries, everyone wants to warehouse like huge tons of like leasable content, mm-hmm. but nobody wants to moderate and inventory right. uh, what's in those warehouses because that is where cost comes in. But at a certain point, like you're going to have to do some of that if you're going to if you're going to be treated as a serious like 
marketplace for professionals. Like if if Epic, you know, is okay becoming the place where like, hey, if you're uh, really on a wing and a terror, wing and a prayer team, and you can live with just getting dragged on forums and uh, on Twitter for asset rips uh, occasionally. That's who buys from us, and anyone above that scale will not deal with the with that marketplace Mm -hmm. maybe that's you know where this is headed but it doesn't seem like it's not auspicious for like the you know the way epic is building this this aspect of their business no i mean also like I, i looked through the various agreements that epic has and i will say that like epic uh does not hold is not liable to things um in most cases however it does say in their documentation that like they do not um, abdicate indemnity. Like they, they, they. You can like indemnify them uh, if uh, you, if you are being sued for something you purchased from their store uh, that was like obvious copyright infringement. And so, like that, that, that legal language does exist on in in Epic's licensing agreements. And so, like they really do have to be careful in terms of like what they're saying here. Uh, I am also curious. Uh I would also put in my EULA that I can't be held liable for anything that happens while mm-hmm. I use my product. Yeah. Uh, when oh, pushed, I, I, anytime you come into my house, I make someone sign that. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. hey, goodbye. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I, I also do wonder about that again. If this becomes sort of a a regular feature of the way that the way that marketplace is working out. Uh, Patrick, you also mentioned like speaking of. Speaking of Epic, uh, there has been some resolution to an FTC case with them. Yeah, announced back in December, uh, the FTC originally announced that they had uh, come to an agreement with uh, Epic um, over something like five hundred million ish dollars. Uh, what's what's new uh, this week um, is that the the FTC announced they had sort of like finalized Epic's payment for part of that, which is uh, for two hundred forty five million dollars related to this kind of. This is not unique to Fortnite or Epic. Um, this is like a real bad problem in in mobile, especially. But what are called dark patterns. Um, essentially, it's UI UX development that prompts users to make choices they don't want to make sometimes that can be as simple as like one version of this is like if you ever look through an email like how do i unsubscribe like where where, where is that you know and it could, it could be real buried you know it's it's things like that but what's the ftc is particularly worried about is the fact that fortnite is targeted at children right like at young people um and so having dark pattern UI UX elements uh, they are identifying as being particularly problematic as as is, you know, in most cases of things like this, Epic denies, you know, like we're settling. We're paying hundreds of millions of dollars for something we've been accused of, but we're not saying that we did it. But that's common practice like that is that's very frequent in that's that's how you get to a settlement. The settlement is they don't admit wrongdoing. The settlement is that you extract some money for the wrongdoing that occurred and they just pretend it didn't didn't happen. Um, as a result, Fortnite has or Epic has uh, started making steps towards like additional security for like child. Like I think they I forget exactly what it's called, but they have they actually now have like children's accounts uh, on on Fortnite with additional security like parental measures for uh, younger uh, folks who are, are playing the game. So. Um, yeah, it was, it was just kind of kind of interesting to see that that actually kind of got brought to to task to some degree. And Fortnite makes a lot of money, but you know, two hundred forty five million ain't nothing to sniff at. Um, at least enough to to get Epic's attention to make 
some a meaningful change to the way that the way that they run things, which is not necessarily how these settlements play out. You get the settlement and it's like, I don't know, I guess the taxpayers got some money, but it doesn't necessarily end up, you know, changing a company's behavior. Yeah, it's uh, I, I am curious, like, you know, if we do see the FTC going for larger fines overall, because, like, I mean, the thing that we're used to seeing really toothless fines and certainly compared to what Fortnite makes, doubtless 245, 245 million is uh, is cheap but i don't know that i'd say it's a pittance in the way that like when you hear that we've uncovered mm-hmm. wage theft going on for de- for for a decade <laughs> yeah. and this company is ordered to pay 1.2 million dollars in back pay to its employees and it's like well that's not going to that's 10 years of wage fraud and yeah. that's a really reasonable cost of doing business but if the yeah, if the ftc is going to be out there uh you know taking healthy chunks of a, of a of a billion uh at a crack that's not you know not not a bad way to go about it the, the problem is that what i you know what's not here in the ftc's uh filings from uh in december or even more recently at least i haven't seen examples of this um uh i'd love to know exactly specifically what what qualifies as the dark pattern because if you spend any time in mobile spaces, Rob, you were you were you were floating around Roblox with me. Um, these kid-focused experiences are just chock full of, you know, things that are trying to extract money from them. I don't know if it rises to the level of what we are calling a dark pattern or not. If the, if that has a very specific uh, connotation, like what is the what is the line between trick and exploit? You know what I mean. That is that is probably a fine line. Roblox exploits children i don't know that it's employing dark patterns but that is i i don't you know i'm not a, a ui expert so i don't i don't know where that that line falls um but it, it is a curious yeah one. usually the examples i hear of dark patterns are like for instance uh inverting the function of the buttons on a dialer mm-hmm. box right mm-hmm. where you always click like okay or no and you and flip those yeah. and so people's muscle memory is going to like overtake them before they can do stuff like that I am curious, yeah, like what is the what are the examples of dark patterns uh, within Fortnite? Because it's a it can be a Baroque store uh, in places, but I don't know that I've ever felt like it was necessarily deceptive uh, unless unless they're going so far as to say, like the minute you start mixing like a premium currency and like a space box currency, you're starting to edge into uh, like dark pattern stuff where, where kids are concerned. That's, that's certainly interesting, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious uh, the same way. Like, yeah, Roblox, uh, I was sort of struck by if I had like charged, if I were a little kid and I had a charged up Ro- Roblox account, there's a lot of games where you can just walk up to a thing and hit like E or something and boom, it's deducted a fortune. Mm-hmm. Uh, for like a gun in one game you may never play again. I mean, it's very similar to uh, I was just at a kid's birthday party and part of it was a laser tag thing. And then the other part was every kid got a card to go, I think, spend what was probably the equivalent of $10 or something or $15 in, in the arcade. And the folks that were like the, you know, the, the workers at the establishment were trying to explain to all of these six or seven year olds that, hey, you know, this card doesn't bar you from kind of doing anything. So, but if you go and say do the VR game, like or try to do that, like your card's gonna be gone. Or I try to talk to my kid and I'm like, hey, you know, like the claw machines, they're very fun because you could get 
uh, a stuffed animal in it, but they're really expensive. And most times you're not going to get anything. They are designed for you not to get anything. And so like trying to have a conversation, like how can they understand how these different games are going to exploit different parts of like the, the finances you have access to. It's a similar sort of conversation. Rob is like, look, go have fun kiddo. But like, it's very easy to walk up to the wrong money bank and have it steal everything from you as opposed to being able to use that across you know a bunch of different things uh, over a period of time yeah it uh yeah I mean, i'm curious with the with, with the future of this stuff because like i mean huge huge like swaths of this industry are built on like foundational pillars of people with for whatever reason addictive uh personalities or like lack of impulse control and like some access to resources to continue like feeding those things and sometimes that's not a problem sometimes like you know people are like i just love spending money on the virtual slots but sometimes it is a problem is there, there's no way for the person making the product to know and a lot of times they don't care but like it's when you look well, it's also at friction, it, right? It's friction. It's like yes. and, and it's like those, those, those it's 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 oftentimes you're spending money to erase friction, but then the introduction of that friction is itself exploitative because like you as a designer are choosing where to. And, you know, when we talk about video games that we love, like games that are done well and interesting, like understand that tension. And there is there is an arc to it that, that it is enjoyable for a player. But. You know, like even like in, in Roblox where we did the the uh, Shrek in the back rooms, you know, it's like, why don't where's my gun to kill Shrek? And it's like, well, you well, could go craft 4, stuff. Roblox. Uh, exactly. For a, for a pistol. Exactly. And that is not designed to be a skill arc for the player that is designed to uh, exploit the impulse control of a child that would rather just get access to the gun now and then go fight <laughs> Shrek and his donkey. <laughs> Right. It's it, it's like it, that it, seems wrong. That seems wrong. I don't know how you police that or come with rule sets to to necessarily tamp that down. But, you know, I don't know if that comes from the FTC or if that comes from like Roblox as a platform. I don't know. But I do know that it sucks. Like Roblox is active in Europe, right? Yeah, oh, they yeah, have, because worldwide. there's different consumer protection rules that do get enforced in Europe. I'm curious, yeah. like if the experience of Roblox is different over there, if there's if if their sort of regulatory bodies have have taken taken note of it. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's it's weird to think like it's one of those things where it's a bit like if they ever subjected like SUVs and trucks to pedestrian collision safety standards overnight, <laughs> like they would just be illegal. Like it would just be like, right. Oh, you know, right. you're, you're industry leading, like, you know, sales monsters that you're put, you're putting out every year. Uh, you can't make those anymore. Uh, like starting tomorrow. <laughs> goodbye. Uh, better, better figure out what your lineup looks like. It's one of those things where if anyone ever just like sort of sits up and is like, you can't, you can't put the shit in video games mm-hmm. uh, immediately. Like just businesses are shuttering right and left, um, which would be. But it has to be the funny. FTC, right? Because there's no actual reason for Apple or Roblox to change these practices because it makes them a lot of money. Like the friction is is delightful. It makes it makes an enormous amount of money for them, and so it requires an aggressive FTC or other regulatory bodies to step in and say. Well, we're, you're going to explain to your shareholders that you're not going to make as much money, not because you're choosing to be altruistic um, and kind to to the young people who use your service, but because we're just telling you you can't use it um, and you have to change your practices. But absent that kind of that yeah. kind of change, and the problem is like the, the the you know the the fines are are okay. The fines are fine, but the fine isn't policy change, right? A fine is whack a mole. Um, over or something that should be actually policy. Well, yeah, and it's uh, the, the, the it's changes the broader like, behavior. 
an enforcement versus like prevention model, right? right? Where it's like instead of it being a well, after the fact, after you made your money, you might have someone come along and inspect what you've done, how you did that. You could run into you'll you'll pay a fa- you'll pay like what amounts to an extra tax for for the type of business you do. That's a different world than like actually from day one, you need to make sure that you're not running foul of these things. Um, and right now, we we sort of live in the after the fact enforcement uh, model. It's more like a vice tax, right? Like yeah. it's like, hey, this is like, you know, alcohol cigarettes. Well, like, hey, we're just. The, this is the overall trajectory of like things, right? Like we're talking about like, man, Roblox is just, you know, uh, really trying to get these kids to like drop drop Robux on, on ra- random shit. And in the meantime, I am now seeing Rob Gronkowski's face every 30 seconds on my phone and like YouTube, uh, just letting me know that, hey, sports betting has come to Massachusetts <laughs> and it's time to get in the game. Did yours just pass? Is that why the ads are all ramped up? Yep. OK, it's a so, couple. It's a couple. It, it happened about a year or two ago yep. in Illinois. No, we were, I think we were about, one of the first states for about three months. I've been getting the get ready. Sports betting is coming to Massachusetts. And then a couple days ago, it was like, woo, sports betting is here. Get in there and start your free account. Gamble responsible. Only get bet what you can afford to use. Gambling is awesome. So, any, so there's there's that. Uh, one last bit of old business I wanted to uh, clear. Uh, the uh, Zaum uh, lawsuits regarding their, their sort of founders. Uh, yeah, um, there was a. Yeah, I was reading this piece over at Eurogamer. Uh, I'll quote from here: um, "The messy saga of Disco Asylum uh, Studio Zaum, which has been embroiled in a series of legal tussles related to the involuntary departure of key team members in 2021, has reached a new milestone with the company announcing several of those lawsuits uh, have been uh, resolved." Um, you know, so like a bunch of the legal stuff has been cleaned up uh, with this studio. What exactly that means for the studio, the state of Disco Elysium 2 or whatever, you know, project they're working on uh, is unclear from something like this. Um, you know, so you have folks kind of walking back some of the the allegations or, or settling with the studio. But um, what this actually means, like for the future of this studio and game, like, I don't know. Like it was I didn't know what to make of it all that much when the accusations came through either. It very much felt like we were in the midst of trying to interpret a bunch of really mm-hmm. messy accusations yeah. in which i could see on both sides where if not where people are coming from where it's just like this seems like a really messy breakup and that falls in line with a studio having an unexpected really popular game and then expanding and like so and i don't know where this lands us either other than probably some people getting some money and dropping some allegations mm-hmm. and then we'll just have to kind of see where the the chips fall in the future but um yeah so that's that's currently we are with uh Zaum. Yeah, it um, it's, it certainly seems like a thing that everyone has an interest in moving on from uh, yeah. on uh, on every side. So it's it's going to be one of those things where I think, in terms of what actually all went down and how things played out and and who did what, I suspect we are not going to get like a clear blow by blow story of how this all played out, at least for some time. Um, yeah, I but, think that is right. And I mean, part of part of a settlement like this is. Uh, you know, is sort of aimed at at achieving at achieving that end. Well, I mean, you get like this messy. Just as a final point, yeah. like you, you know, uh, one of the uh, folks, uh, one of the lawsuits from uh, Kyle Kedner, uh, who is the an executive producer and marketing ma- manager. This was a separate lawsuit 
uh, from the um, like the creatives, which is like what we had focused a lot of our attention on in the mm-hmm. past. Um, they had made they had filed their lawsuit saying that they alleging they've been fired because they'd asked questions of the new management. And the quote that went out um, as a result of this, like we're fixed where the lawsuits are going away, was uh, Kender saying, quote, after leaving my full time role, I filed a lawsuit, which I realized after seeing the facts was misguided, which is just it's a really loaded statement. Like, what the, what, what the fuck does that even mean? You know what I mean? Like, I filed a lawsuit. And then when I realized what was going on, I. I I was the one who was wrong. You know what I mean? Like, and that's and that's what I think to your point, Rob. It's all all the point I wanted to make was like, who yeah. knows, right? Like, you read something like that, and that can be read a lot of different ways, and there is just absolutely no way to know how you know where that falls, other than uh, I think it remains messy, or at least I, mean, I guess less messy in the sense that the legal fight is no longer here, but still messy in that I don't know that we can have settled feelings on what actually happened at that studio. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, hopefully, we'll have some settled feelings about some games uh, y'all been playing. Uh, back after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. back uh patrick now last time we spoke about resident evil 4 you couldn't talk about resident evil 4 all that much uh in in terms of like how much you played what you've been up to uh but now you know we can uncork the whole thing we can yeah i've played seven eight hours of uh the the remake of resident evil 4 um you know, i thought i thought the demo that came out uh kind of dubbed the chainsaw demo because it's the kind of opening village area of that game uh was excellent, uh, but I was curious to see how the rest of the game played out. And what is interesting revisiting this game was kind of fundamentally misremembering, not misremembering, but just not remembering uh, what the kind of pitch of the game is, right? So, you know, to kind of cover a little bit of ground from before, you know, the opening of this game is a village, You, it's empty, you go in, you get kind of overwhelmed. Um, you're doing a lot of running around and escaping, and it seems like it's maybe setting a tone for what this game is, but it, it's really hard to tell. Is it just meant to be a bombastic opener, um, or is this actually what Resident Evil 4 is? And Resident Evil 1, Rob, you played, um, you know, is a game... The first three games, especially first, I guess the first two, especially and three to some extent, were games about being very slow, cautious, walking down a hallway, waiting for an enemy to get in front of you, lining up a shot, being frustrated if you miss that shot because it feels like you never have enough ammo to accomplish, you know, just kind of like spraying uh, bullets everywhere. Uh, and sure, inevitably, you, m- you might end up breaking the kind of inventory curve by the end have seven first aid kits and 30 grenade shells that you just never ended up using. But the reason you end up that way is because the game's flow intention is built around making you feel like 
I can't use the I shouldn't use the resources I have because I don't have enough to truly feel comfortable. And then it always becomes clear at the end of these games that you could have been a little more generous uh, uh, with yourself, giving yourself a little more literal self-care with a first aid kit um, as you were playing. And what Resident Evil 4 does is it flips that model in which it is a game where you are, are constantly at all times not facing one, two or three enemies. But well, you might be. But it's just the first three enemies that are in front of you. And while you're dealing with them, what you're not realizing is that three enemies are coming behind you. It's a game where you are dealing with hordes of enemies, not singular sort of groups. It is a game where you are always on the run. You are never lining up shots and thinking through a strategy. It's actually like way more improvisational and haphazard. Um, it, there was actually a... a, a uh, I don't know if I actually ended up writing this story, but I was going to try and write a piece that kind of got at... Uh, something Ren was discussing uh, or asking about earlier in the week, which is like, why was this game important? And I didn't feel I was very tired after a long weekend with my kids, but I didn't feel like I had a good answer. And I, so I was like, well, maybe I can go ask people that were like reviewed that game that are designers. Like what exactly was interesting about that game? And and if I don't use this full quote somewhere else, I at least want to pull this one phrase that uh, Greg Kasavin uh, over at uh, Supergiant, uh, who uh, was the uh a reviewer at GameSpot or EIC maybe at the time um, and reviewed Resident Evil 4. The way he described uh, Resident Evil 4 to me was uh, a game that keeps uh, keeps you uh, uh, in a state of, quote, very nearly dead and out of ammo. Uh, and that is like a really great way of describing the experience of playing Resident Evil 4, which is a game that you constantly feel like you are on your heels. You cannot save ammo because there are so many am- there are so many enemies. You must just use it. Should I hold on to this grenade? No. There are seven enemies coming and there are six behind me. I will throw the grenade. When I threw that grenade, did I throw it over their heads and it didn't hit any of them? Shit, I did. Time to use the other grenade and hopefully uh, get a couple of them. And combined with that is this is a game in which drops 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 like every enemy is dropping things it's very dead space in that regard uh, you like every enemy that you kill will either drop currency or ammunition um the game like dead space is very cognizant of the weapons you are using um and will both give and withhold uh things to generate more tension from the player and so there are many times you will have sequences in resident evil 4 where you get to the end of a a fight It's like, damn, time to assess what I've got left over. And what you have left over are seven bullets in the chamber for a a handgun, and that's it. And then you move forward hoping that the loot gods will be generous. And they always are eventually. Like, you are never actually all that up against the wall. But it, it manages to create combat scenarios in which... You feel as though you have to empty the the clip. And that is the opposite of how Resident Evil operated prior to that. And I think it's all worth pointing out because when you and I played, have been playing through Dead Space, right? I think one of the things that was really interesting was discovering how tame the original game feels by comparison. Because in the context of the time when it was released, it felt like, oh, this is so dangerous and hard and I'm barely scraping by. And then... When EA comes around to remaking it, what they realized looking at that original game is, well, it feels quaint, actually. Like, it's still effective. It's still well made. But whereas, um, you know, I'm blasting through a room, like, whistling a tune, uh, you are dropping F-bombs and, like, repeating a room two or three times. And Capcom has applied the same level 
of like design logic to remaking Resident Evil 4, which is if you were just to take that original sort of like layouts, enemy behavior, um, uh, amounts of enemies and just put a visual polish on it, what you'd end up finding was that it doesn't it doesn't feel like how it felt to play that original game in 2005. Mm -hmm. And to achieve that feeling again does not mean betraying what made that original game interesting. It just means like Ra- I, I like I described it in kind of the piece of it, like ratcheting it up. And I think that's what Dead Space in 2023 does. Right? Like the enemies don't really like the basic ze- uh, uh, necromorphs don't lunge at you in the original game, but they do in the new one every once in a while. And that is a very subtle but notable tweak for how the enemies behave that get that, that start scratching at that original feeling and experience. And I think Capcom has done that sort of top to bottom with Resident Evil 4. I didn't do a head count, like how many more enemies are present here than are present in other areas. I went and watched some old gameplay footage to try and get a, a sense of that. Um, it's definitely more. It is definitely more. And what they do is they manage to create this overwhelming sense of dread, which was such a defining experience of the original Resident Evil, that what's great about the new one is that it accomplishes what Dead Space did as well, which is it allows me, someone who's intimately familiar and has a nostalgic uh, memory for Resident Evil 4 to go like essentially go on a time machine and not just go there in the sense that I'm playing an older game again, but I get to like emotionally and psychologically revisit what it was like to play that game in 2005. And I thought the Dead Space remake was very effective at putting me back in that state as well. Um, and I think that's really hard to do um, without necessarily betraying what the original game does like how do you straddle that line between honoring what came before and kind of putting your own spin on it and i think i think resident evil 4 does that exceptionally Mm -hmm. uh well too how is it because patrick what what that what that quote from uh kasavin sort of gets at in your description there like all the horror action games aim for that like to an extent right like this is Mm -hmm. the you know like it's the impossibility of walking that Mm tightrope that eventually causes these things to uh get a little unwieldy in one way one way or the other uh as they go on um what like how how does and and maybe maybe it will go off the rails in classic resident evil fashion late when when you bank the resources but i'm curious like how is it so reliably keeping you in that zone where it's like the resources are to hand but you're always uncomfortable about how many you've got i mean it, it it is it is by sheer force of number it is just the amount of enemies you are dealing with in any any one scenario um and be, and also because of that number it is not just that they are bullet spongy that would be the easy way out in fact the enemies are fairly easy to take down um like the common strategy in resident evil 4 is to shoot them twice in the kneecap they fall to the ground that opens up a melee prompt and then you shoot them in the head while they're on the ground or knife them if you have if you have a moment um would it like by the sheer numbers what it does is creates anxiety and indecision in the player so to give an example like something that happens fairly frequently is okay i've got this shotgun I would like to get two or three enemies to kind of group together so I can get maximum impact of this of this bullet. I don't I don't have a ton of shotgun shells. I cannot importantly, I cannot buy them. You cannot purchase ammunition from a vendor in a Resident Evil 4. You can craft it, but you'll be using resources. And those resources are shared across all of the 
the guns that you have access to. So if you make if you make pistol uh, bullets, well, maybe you can't make shotgun bullets, and you know, vice versa. And so you'll have instances in which you're trying to do, which is very common in survival horror games, is I need to try and do this room cleanly, and I'm going to try and set up the enemies to use my resources maximally. But what happens so often is that in the uh, desire to, like, say, uh, kind of like kite enemies around to get them set up, you will just run into three other enemies that have been smartly dropped in by the game recognizing. But you can't just back up into, like, this hallway section, line them up, and hope that it's going to work out. Because what you're going to do is just all of a sudden have three more enemies right behind you. And so it just it's a game in w- w- where it's enemy placement rejects your ability to be systemically careful, which leads to bad shots, like misused ammo, misused uh, accessories, using health more aggressively, where, and even if you sort of understand an area, it's like time to do it again. The movement of the characters and enemies is dynamic enough that you're not going to be able to just go in, predictively follow what they did, and have it work out. You might have a better sense of the arena, like, very frequently you'll, I'll, I'll, like, finish an area and then, you know, find three barrels I could have used, and it's like, ah, geez, that would have been really useful but even then the amount of times i've gotten myself in trouble where it's like line up that barrel and it's like oh well now somebody has put a cleaver into the back of my throat uh because i was waiting for that barrel to line up and that is the epitome of what resident evil 4 is aiming for in basically all of its combat arenas is just trying to push you off of your strategy and getting you to go somewhere else and do so in a frenetic way that prompts you to make mistakes and I had sort of forgotten that is the flow of Resident Evil 4 and rediscovering that here, because part of my memory of, of RE4 is uh, a deep respect for what it was doing, but also frustration that it was running away from, you know, the more horror elements uh, and like the, the slow dread that like I find really appealing about the Resident Evil franchise or horror games in general. And I thought Resident Evil 2's remake struck uh, uh, an exceptionally uh, good chord on Um and they just nail it here. Like, it's just a different style of game. It's an action game. It's an excellent action game. Doesn't mean it doesn't have its kind of spooky moments, but it's just not what it's going for. And, and the other thing that I think is really well done here is it takes you back to an era in which games could just say, man, we don't got to make fucking sense. Like, just don't worry about it. Like, who cares, right? Like, you're running through Resident Evil 4's uh, arenas or, uh, you know, areas, and there's blue medallions to shoot. They're just here. You want to shoot them? Like, there's a little vendor, creepy little, hey, what do you want to buy? You know, he'll give you some bonus stuff for it, but why am I shooting these medallions? And it would have been so easy for Capcom to look at this game in 2023 and say, like, less of that. Like, that. maybe that feels a little out of touch in 2023. It's, you know, maybe there are other ways of doing that. And in some ways... That's true. In other ways, they just double down on the weirdness of Resident Evil 4. Do you love arbitrary puzzles where you turn a bunch of hexagons? No? (laughs) Apologies. We've added six of them to this game in the first couple of hours. Like, medallions in a door? Does that make sense in 2023? More of them makes more sense in 2023. And it's this instance in which I think, in some ways, it seemed like freeing to the development team to go... This was a different era, a different style of what we considered sort of grounded or logical. And there's this chaotic energy to Resident Evil 4 
that they could have run away from and instead just fully embraced, doubled down on. And I love that aspect of it. Like the amount of times I have six weird keys that I'm juggling to open up little different drawers that there are throughout the world. It doesn't make a lick of sense. Why did this church hide two keys in an area where I need to line up uh, yellow paint that was sprayed onto the cave walls and move the camera just so and so that it'll tell me which icon I need to put into the hexagonal structure over here. Don't think about it. It's like, who cares? Are you enjoying doing it? Yes. Is it weird? Yes. And I just find over and over this game has a deep reverence for a different era of game design, specifically a different era of this kind of game. And instead of getting rid of it, it just sort of doubles down on it. And specifically, I want to point to, um, like, so the blue medallion thing specifically is now part of a sub-quest sort of line, which is similar. Dead Space also did this, which was to, like, give the player other things to do, contextualize it in the world in some way. In Resident Evil 4's remake, instead of running away from uh, the weirdness of it, instead it's just, like... People have just left, like, different quests for you to do arbitrarily around the world. So, like, quote, this, you find these, like, blue notes, and it says, like, for example, quote, For the love of God, will somebody please get rid of the blue medallions these religious lunatics left hanging around? That's one. Another, a dear friend of mine is gravely ill, and I'd very much like to treat them some delicious vipers before they pass. Is there a snake charmer willing to lend a hand? And, like, that's all over this game. Like, one of those is, like, go shoot five medallions. Another one is, like, if a snake is in a box, stab it with your knife, collect it, and sell it to the vendor. And it's just goofy and fun and tongue-in-cheek. And I, I'm, I, I deeply respect the fact that the developers of this game were able to understand this was part of why the game is appealing in the first place. It was part of it's like a, it, like it's it's like unique DNA. And even if that's not really how even these games are made these days, I think Resident Evil Village has some of this energy. But even Resident Evil modern Resident Evil games are not able to fully run away from the uh, the notion of quote making sense. Um, these I like that they they they've stuck it here and understand that it's a different era and just to lean into that. And this is an excellent remake all around. And like to, to like the last thing I would note is uh, unlike how some games like approach, like revisiting their past dead space again, also did this. That original game is still there. You can buy it. It's excellent. It's a, like this remake is in conversation with its own past, as opposed to being a cynical replacement uh, uh, or, or, or embarrassed at what the past represents. Uh, instead, it's like a celebration of a different way, a different era of making games and just applying a little modern spin to it um, without necessarily scrubbing it uh, from history. And I think that's cool. And I wish that was the approach more games had when they choose to engage in a conversation with the past. Well, I can't wait to see uh, the level of polish uh, and love and attention they're going to give Resident Evil 5 Resident Evil 6, just like restore those classics to mint. Don't ask them. Don't ask. I don't know if they. I don't, I don't this, think the Resident Evil Two team it. that did this game. I don't think they're gonna do it. I don't it. know. Can they solve the racism of Resident Evil Five? No. I don't know. No. Do we need to? Do we really want to bring up the end guy stuff again? Like, do we have to go? Like, I brought no. them so far no, let, from it. Let do we have it. to do it again? 
We don't need this. We don't need this. Let, Let him it go. go sleep. Let it go. Let him Resident, guys sleep. Resident Evil 5 and 6 didn't happen. We can all we can it all forget. It was a bad forget. dream. It went 1, 2, 3, 4, 7. Isn't that fun? Numbers. No, well, the problem is right around this era is also Resident Evil Code Veronica, which has its own very messy issues and would be the one that would need the heaviest lifting uh, in order to make that work in a modern context, Wait, what is so to Veronica? speak. It was released exclusively for the Dreamcast uh, originally. No, I know um, what it is, but what's in yeah. there? Uh, it's been I, it's too long for me to illuminate it, but I do know that it has um, it has some characters that don't necessarily. I, I don't know. Maybe people have reclaimed those characters in a way that was not the conversation I'd seen about them uh, in years past. I don't. I don't want to necessarily speak to it um, too specifically without having done done the work, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There is, yeah, there. What you get the at sort Rob, of stuff is that the there, series has definitely outgrown. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it, but it, but but also it just it it goes to show that like the directions that this path goes forward from, like from here, gets into some really weird territory. Like Resident Evil Five is a is a bad game. Resident yeah. Evil Six is a worse game. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, Ren posting some extremely good. Uh, advertisements. I don't uh, think for, it's good. Uh, this is classic video game advertising. Yes. So yeah, all around, really, really good. Resident Evil Four is, is fantastic. I think people are going to be delighted by it. Like other, you know, improvements they've made, kind of like on the margins. Uh, you know, like being able to more fully customize your experience in the sense of, you know, you have these briefcases uh, that you're like putting your you know, items into you can now engage in these kind of like shooting gallery mini games that allow you to unlock things called charms and the charms hang off of the case and the charms will do things like, hey, uh, this will make uh, knife repairs cheaper or, hey, you have a 20 percent chance at bonus uh, pistol bullets when you craft them. And uh, it kind of allows you to skew your play style in the direction of uh like what you prefer and especially for people who Resident Evil 4 famously is like one of the best games to replay and speedrun uh in with different styles it has a real free form to its play that is n- not as present in other Resident Evil games specifically because the vendor in Resident Evil 4 will often allow you to purchase weapons wildly out of quote unquote sequence um it's like hey I don't know you want to you want to buy a rocket launcher really early in the game yeah i guess you can it's probably not recommended the way the game doles it out i don't know how it works in the original game because it's been so so long but the way it kind of works in the new one um is like you'll get to the vendor and like let's say two chapters before like you want to buy a submachine gun and like you don't have to but two chapters later he'll be offering a 20 percent discount on it and so like that's almost the game signaling to you like hey if you're waiting for a signal that this is the pace you would buy this gun in the way that it might be placed in the world Right, like Dead Space does the flip of that. The original Dead Space follows that model of, hey, you can you can pretty much buy whatever you want as the game goes along. Or at least you're finding schematics that just unlock uh, things like that. Like I had way more weapons ahead of you in Dead Space than you are collecting them like in the world, mm-hmm. like paced out the way that like a lot of modern games would do that. I think it's a, a sensible change by the Dead Space team. I think it's interesting that the Resident Evil 4 team says, nah, we're still just going to let people buy seven guns in the, in the first two hours if they like. Um, and that's just a kind of a different way of approaching like one of those things that have changed about like the broader way that games design like the arc of their weapon distribution as you go through a, you know, a 15 to 20 hour game. But uh, 
yeah, really good. Really like it. I, I, I cannot recommend it more highly. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that Resident Evil 4 is is in our lives again. This vacation. I got to you know, I should I should finish playing through two. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, just bang out three and get to four. Uh, you can skip three. Easy. You're good. You good. You really don't need to play Resident Evil three. Like it's that is that is only for sickos for sickos only. Mm-hmm. Um, do you need to play Resident Evil three? That doesn't need to be you. But you know what? I can't tell Vacation Rob what to do. Mm. Well, the problem the problem is Vacation Rob is going to be like today's also not the right day to start Resident Evil two <laughs> to start playing four remember, Resident Evil games what, back to back. Yeah, it's uh, I don't remember what I was doing. I'm just going to have to restart this entire campaign. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, uh, Patrick, we should talk about like the 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 new game I played or new to me uh, experience I had was us playing a bunch of Roblox. Uh, this we also played. Sorry, we also dusted off the Dirty Boys and we were uh, like power washing Midgar, uh, which oh, was yeah. surprisingly charming. I, I oh, it was say. great. Yes, uh, the, the, the writing was well. The writing was well done. The ability for us to uh, move that big robot's arms up and down was extremely charming. The big skeleton robot was actually surprisingly fun to watch. Like it was challenging. Yes. Well, and just I thought the game did a really good job of poking fun at the fact that the players are clearly cleaning up a war machine meant to er- eradicate radicals and like the game kind of knows like i know but isn't it kind of cool to clean up this dirty like in-game model yeah it is like, it's, yeah <laughs> it is uh, am i washing off the blood of these eco-terrorists yes this is uh see the, this this is the superior evolved version of like Model viewers just put all that shit in yes. power wash sim. Yes. I don't want a model viewer. I want a model washer. <laughs> Let me wipe it. Like just like and then like then just power wash simulator could just go on forever, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you, you just start. What else could what else could we clean off? What else could we hose down? Oh, wow, Rob, I can't believe you're advocating for AI generated grime. <laughs> I think it would be I think it would be beautiful too. Now that we have now that we have like a contiguous Ishimura. Mm-hmm. Just give me yeah. the Ishimura, like the whole thing like it was one the big job thing. as yeah. one big job. Like after, set after the events of Dead Space 1. Like, oh my god. This this like you could even make it canonical right like hey uh, like that distress beacon went out who knows who heard it. Well it turns out the dirty boys did. And they just happen to be nearby with their power washers, ready to go, ready to clear off. Um, who's the guy that dies at the start of the game? Like the first necromorph encounter. Oh, I Chen. Can't remember that. Chen. Yeah, look, the Chen level. Just give me that opening little area where we can like walk up and down the catwalk to get in. Oh. Or, or, you create a dark AU where the dirty boys get there before Isaac. They clean off, cut off their limbs. They bounce. And Isaac never learns. He never gets the key message about like what to do about all these damn necromorphs. Um, it actually worth this is like this slightly revisits the Resident Evil discussion, but this is like a big tweet that was going around this week. Um, yes, I was actually working on a piece about that right now. Yeah, and and this came up and like one of the like Dead Space developers responded to it because people uh made fun of dead space for having 
cut off their limbs everywhere in that, you know, opening couple of hours. And they said the reason we did that was because we kept focus testing the game, taking them out because we thought it looked obnoxious as well. But then you'd hand players the game and they would shoot the aliens in the head over and over again. And we just kept adding more cut off their limbs until players got it in their goddamn skulls that they were supposed to be targeting the limbs. Now, the screenshot here is from uh, the Resident Evil 4 demo uh, in which the the original Resident Evil game uh, had breakable geometry boxes, barrels, uh, you know, windows of that sort, but it was pretty infrequent. Um, or at least what was there, like you kind of like in Dark Souls, right? Like, I'm going to roll over every barrel and every box that is here, and there's never anything there, but, like, I know I can break it and I can interact with it. In in Resident Evil 4, it was, it was similar, was that, like, if it's here, most likely you can interact with it, so it didn't need to call attention to itself. In the remake, there is a lot more environmental, set like, set dressing in which there are tables and, and barrels and boxes that are there just to be barrels and boxes, and these yellow ones are meant to signify gear like drops like this is ammo is in here money is in here grenades are in here um and they are very obvious in the if you've played you know horizon or uncharted what you think of the equivalent of climbing something Mm -hmm. and like what is the or far cry like what is this funny orange yellow pick your color paint to show you exactly where you need to go well it's increasingly always yellow like that is just becoming increasingly Mm -hmm. like that is the this is there must be an explanation I would wonder, please write in. This is actually maybe an interesting question. Maybe there's an answer behind this. I don't know. I wonder if there is a specific, like, scientific reasoning behind yellow as the choice. I I probably have, I probably know someone who can give me the answer to this question. Uh, I can I can send out a text now and I can see if I can get an answer by the end of this. It just strikes me as, like, if, if yellow has become so yellow and white i feel like are the two colors you usually see uh this done well, remember in when, maybe, you, when you like once you account for all the various forms of colorblindness there that's, are that was my you thought. end up with a lot of like you, like corners of the color wheel that are not as uh useful as you might wish right. uh so I, I would bet you that's that's one aspect of it and then yeah like i mean i do know that in like automotive safety there's two colors that pop and like make cars more visible than any other it's yellow and white um mm. like if like there's a school of thought that it, you know our streets would be safer by default if every car was mandated to be painted like yellow or white uh because you would think even like in a field of like okay well if you have like nothing but white cars like then like a red car will really stand out i guess like not as much as you might think um hmm. and there's also like wavelength issues um like with without color works but yeah I, uh, uh that, that'd be my guess but ren you mentioned that you you were sort of uh writing a piece about this tweet i'm curious like what your angle is what what your reaction was to it so i actually was watching uh a gdc talk yesterday uh from about six years ago about interior design uh and the intersection of interior design and level design and the thing that I think is really fascinating is the fact that, like, the majority of environmental artists and level designers, uh, like, as a, as, a, as, a, as a discipline, are not also, like, previously trained in interior design uh, as a field. Uh, and, you know, at one point the, in the video uh, or in the, in the talk, the uh, guy giving the talk was like, this is like trying to learn artistic anatomy from, like, if you are only basing your level design skills on playing video games as opposed to, like, learning interior design fundamentals, 
you are basically trying to learn anatomy from watching anime and like trying to learn how to draw anatomy from like a second step of remove. And the thing that I find really interesting about this is the ways in which like Resident Evil 4 originally and Resident Evil 4 currently have taken different approaches to this same central problem of or same central question of like signposting for two different player bases or for two different assumed player bases Uh, and then how that like intersects with the lack of more subtle modes of interior design right like like a, a classic in games is like go where the light is like lighting will tell you where you are and are not supposed to go in a game environment, right? That is the that is a a standard industry practice, right? And like that's just not how real world spaces are designed, right? Like light is designed generally in real world spaces to like enrich a space or like give you like you know something visual or to like change how you're understanding it, but not actually like guide you through from like one part of a building or one part of a room. <laughs> I, to I need my kitchen lights. To help me, like I need the equivalent of uh, you know the lights that will uh, you know align a stairs to tell me where I need to go when it's dark out. Um, and so I'm I'm I'm, actually, I'm looking at like the intersection between these these various things and how like I think that this is a really brute force solution to this problem in an industry that has on the whole kind of chosen not to learn a lot of fundamentals of how spaces are actually constructed. I suspect there's something like we've also talked about as environments have increased in overall visual fidelity it's one of those Mm -hmm. like problems of spaces get harder to read as the textures get busier and more nuanced and so you end up with like the sheer number of times for instance like we you know we can we sort of laugh at stuff like this where it's like we spray painted uh, yellow, the thing you can mantle over and access a new part of the level. But that is also frequently in part because, like, sometimes I genuinely can't tell which pile of garbage is meant to denote the edge of a level and which pile of garbage is just something you can, like, circumvent and access a different part of the level. Because, like, they might look really, really similar and it might look like there's, there's like, level that continues on that you can access uh, mm-hmm. if, you just, just access, if you just get past this thing. And I think that you know the more dense and detailed you're talking about like these these spaces getting the more that problem multiplies where you will just have players spending way too much time trying to figure out what is the thing that i should be interacting with here and where should i be going this is again like a standard thing of of interior design is that like the more complex there's like a curve for minimal complexity minimal uh, interest from the audience right the 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 less complex it is the you know, the less someone will be appro- will want to approach a space. And then there's a curve that goes up and then right at the middle of like, oh, great, it's complex, but not like overwhelming. And if you go any further beyond that, suddenly the space becomes not at all approachable uh, because it's it's too overstimulating. And so like one of the things that I find interesting is that as games like like, like you're saying, as games continue to grow in fidelity, the base level of visual complexity is going up and in it feels like in some ways the ways in which games are designed as environments and the way that that environments are designed in games has yet to catch up with a new kind of fidelity that asks you to design things in different ways well like this was one example here someone uh a developer uh on uh 
Gloomwood uh, pointed out uh, Dylan Rogers uh, in response to this tweet. But I, I don't think it's worth actually rewinding two seconds to say that the original tweet that had these screenshots had, was had the text "This needs to end." It was it was extremely hostile towards yeah. the developers of Resident Evil Four, and that this is this is uh, a, like a quote unquote dumbing down like solution to this issue. Um, uh, and like uh, like these two screenshots I just posted are from Resident Evil Four, the the update in which you have two r- roughly identical looking cabinets, one you can interact with and one you cannot, and the only way that is denoted if you do not reference the map in the game is just walking past everything and seeing if there is a context prompt. Now, Resident Evil 4 does try to get around this by when you enter a room, if you go into the map, it will automatically highlight on that 2D overhead map everything in the room that you can interact with. So if what you want to do is not crawl around and see what like contextual prompts uh, pop up uh, that are not like, you know, this is their way of saying, OK, fine, we're not going to put yellow all over it, but we're going to like hide it in the map. And I'm not necessarily like that is the um, the most elegant, ideal solution to that problem. But I do think there are like, you know, this is one of those. Things I don't know what the great solutions are to problems like this when you're trying to present realistic spaces. And how do you present to the player? This one is interactable and might have a secret. This one is not like that is just a really difficult problem to square. And you end up catering to the lowest common denominator because otherwise you're going to get dinged by in customer service. You know, like, how was I supposed to know that I could interact with this thing? And it's like, well, let's put a big text bubble over it. Player habits have changed slightly, right? Like the one of the other things I was thinking about with with Resident Evil 4 is that like Resident Evil 4 initially emerges as the beginning of a new era of survival horror right it is the it is the thing that like marks the beginning of that of that period uh and and comes in the wake of what like people call like the survival horror golden era uh or or golden age which is like 1990 i think 1996 through 2004 um and so the the way that i was like thinking about is like the original resident evil 4 is designed to appeal to a larger market than, for example, like Resident Evil like two or three, right? That's why all it has all of these like third person co- action mechanics, right? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it is still operating under the assumption that a portion of its audience are going to be familiar with the basic language of games in that moment, right? And and of and of its contemporaries, right? And I think that like the basic language of game design has shifted such that, um, or the basic language of environmental design has shifted such that like this is the standard practice that you have to build around now. Like, regardless of what a developer wants, this is how things are done, in part because of the original Resident Evil 4, right? Like, Resident Evil 4 is is, is one of the things that contributes to the current moment that we're in of environmental design. And that is the interesting thing, is that, like, looking at it as, like, something that is referencing back to itself, in a way, through, like, an extended chain of connection. The contextual prompts thing uh like i certainly i i do like the way it lets you look at an environment that looks very convincing in some ways but I'm not necessarily convinced it's all that more that much more elegant uh you know think of like uh, red dead redemption 2 i think used a similar sort of system where it's like we don't want to have big noisy like this is this is a cabinet you can you can explore uh type prompts but like every room sort of lights up as you walk around it with little things that you can sort of like grab and interact with and 
I think there's another problem that you run into just with, I think immersive sims kind of run into this as well. If you put out there, if you set the expectation that like there's all sorts of resources uh, that are going to be out there in the world, stashed away, that you'll... Or even just rewards, right? Not even resources, but like like little in-game lore and text notes, you know what I mean? Like all, you're going to be, you'll be just, you'll just be straight up rewarded for curiosity, is like a defining or curiosity tilting into like just kind of boring compulsive (laughs) like oh there's a like the way half-life everyone like just starts reflexively smashing up uh every box with the crowbar because like Mm -hmm. you are conditioned that some of those have ammo in them so you're gonna open up all of them and i think there is something to be said for like trying to discourage players from doing that by kind of flagging okay here are the resource crates when you see these there's resources all this other stuff that's in the space that like you could that looks like it's explorable there's nothing there for you move on uh don't even Mm -hmm. don't even bother it's just set dressing yeah but i but i do understand like where the frustration comes from uh you know in this in this tweet where it does it is like almost in a, in a ton of games, regardless of, regardless of aesthetic or, in, or environment or theme, you end up with really attention-grabbing, like, uh, street signs, effectively, just dropped into the middle of it. And it can be a bit cloying. And, and for me, it's, it's less like, I don't know... It's much less one of those like, oh, they're dumbing down, uh, you know, back in my day, you, you, you know, we, we ripped open all, uh, all these crates and we liked it. I like to pixel hunt all over the screen and see what was interactable. And that was great. <laughs> yeah. But in, but I think there is like separate from that. I think the the bigger issue, there is a lot of, there are now a lot of games where effectively like you walk into a room and there's a whole bunch of uh, player go here. Uh, you know, goodies in here in a way that can feel a bit, uh, you know, a bit, a bit intrusive. Uh, well, I mean, Elden, Elden Ring, one of the biggest games of last year, right? The, uh, the early acts, like the early network test that went out, right? Where you, uh, there is a, at least to my mind, as someone who's played a lot of video games and also understands how From communicates, there's a very specific spot and an NPC tells you, like, here is the tutorial cave. You don't have to go in it, but it's like, if you go to the left, you can go into the world, start the game. If you go to the right, tutorial cave. And they ended up having to tweak that because the data showed lots of normal people that needed the tutorial just were not going to the tutorial cave. Like It was an instance in which From Software's hands-off approach was making the game more frustrating to people that wanted to engage with it. And thus they had to – they don't quite push them over the ledge, but you, like, you got to give a, a, a bigger – um, closer to an arrow to get, get people over there, make sure they know what they what they might be missing. Yeah, yeah. I did kind of like how At- Atomic Heart uh, tries to. It kind of has his cake and eats it too. In yeah, which, but it sucks at it as it does with so many. I'm, I'm not. I'm it not sucks. saying again. It I'm sucks. not saying this is a great solution, but it's like we want to have 900 things that can open, and I guess you can open them, you know, individually, or you can just press the vacuum button. And we're just going to suck them all all in. But it's only to illustrate not necessarily that it's a good solution to that, but that is an an instance of a game saying we would like to have the immersive sim part where it's like you should be looking around and checking everything. But also like that's isn't that kind of monotonous? You don't want do you actually want to do it? Um, And and that's the solution they arrived at to try and meet halfway. 
I, I think the big issue for me is like that vacuum needed to be longer range. The problem was and ended up <laughs> you're still like, like going right you're, up you're to everything. You're smearing yourself around the room now where it's like you're, you, you know what it basically is is like in the middle of this game it's like oh here's this like lovingly detailed like dense environment and now you have to imagine you're a little Katamari or a dude just covered in flypaper and you just have to go like rolling around the room while pressing your vacuum button until like all the shit flies into your pockets and it, that like it, it's a weird way where it's like meant to reduce the friction like what can be one of the sillier parts of the immersive sim where it's like all right what's in this drawer nothing what's in this drawer okay so some poor ga- games writer had to put down a note here just as some sort of reward uh for people doing this level of exploration so it's a little note that says like i sure hope the robot uprising doesn't occur today uh all right cool i got that little bit of lore they try to solve that problem, but I think they do end up kind of in a no man's land of, oh, this is this is actually worse than kind of both, uh, where, like, it's worse than if you just have, like, a big pile of coins and ammo on the ground. Right. And it's a little worse than uh, rifling every desk. But that's all beside the point. Roblox. Patrick, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we played it. We did. Well, I've, I've, I've played lots of it, Rob, but I, I, invited, uh, I invited Rob into the... Roblox uh, experience. Uh, people can check that out on uh, the VOD over uh, at twitch.tv slash Waypoint. I think our our YouTube archives will be a, a little bit behind while uh, Kato catches up on on them. Uh, yes, our YouTube archives actually should be should be good by the time that, that by the oh, time good. this episode comes Excellent. out. Yeah, uh, I, I ex- exported everything earlier today. Oh, awesome! Superb. Thanks, Ren. Um, <laughs> and that uh, yes, uh, so Roblox is a game that is very pot. You know, it's been around for you know. 15 years a long long time it has a long history of us having kind of stranglehold on younger generations of uh, kids in fact one of the big issues facing roblox is what do they do now that the kids that grew up with roblox are getting older and graduating to different games that's a separate uh issue to look into uh but uh you know i i'm spending a lot of time with it and i was like i need to show rob what this weird world of roblox is all about um and so we jumped in uh together to check out everything from you know Shrek in the back rooms, which is just a maze with copyright infringements, and you shoot Shrek with a gun. Yeah, Ren? I completely miss this back rooms shit. I was trying to find some new games on Steam recently, and it is just it is just pages and pages of shit. Yeah, the, the, the whole like liminal space title. thing has like yeah. really taken a. It's mashed up with. Um, so if you aren't familiar with sort of like the design concept, it's sort of like maybe you've seen videos of it, but it's like there's a piece let's of say you open a door. It. Huh? There's a piece on Vice explaining it at, uh, on the website called Motherboard. Oh, excellent. Um, <laughs> what's it called? Uh, the piece is called The Backrooms, How a Creepy Office Photo Became an Internet Boogeyman. It's by Andrew Lloyd. It's a, like a, a pretty significant like piece. Yeah, and so like the a lot of what these backrooms designs are like, what if you open a door and then you were in a hallway? You turn around the corner and there's another hallway. You turn around the corner and there's another hallway. And it's sort of like these repeating loops of familiar spaces. And there's a lot of kind of creepypasta and creepypasta adjacent sort of horror storytelling that has been uh, born out of this. And it's extremely popular amongst kids right now um, because it's, it's also getting constantly mashed up with Slender Man, Siren Head, and all these other uh, creepypasta horror characters that are also very popular uh, amongst kids. And yes, yeah, so Shrek in the Backrooms is just 
the back rooms. I think actually just the person who sort of popularized that is about to do a horror movie based on the concept with A24, I think, of all of all places. Uh, I think I have that right. Um, and yeah, I don't know, just Shrek's in it because that's just like what a lot of Roblox is like. So here's a room. Tipo Shrek. Here's a gun. And then here's Shrek. <laughs> but uh, people really threw us for a loop uh, when we were kind of jumping between sort of just like random games like one we played a a a communist platformer um that really uh sold us on the evils of capitalism i i I became out of it convinced rob i don't know about you yeah i was was thoroughly radicalized Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. although i don't know about that portrayal of the soviet union at the very end i got the the politics felt a little confused so did i just go to military school i thought we're all going to live in harmony when I jump through this portal. Uh, there can be no harmony as long as the capitalists are out there um, threatening, it's true. It's uh, true. Th- threatening the Soviet experiment. But yeah, I think uh, that was a, that was a bit of a goofy one. I think the really the thing that really caught me out was uh, effectively that there is battlefield, but Roblox. And that one was just all kinds of goofy. The most sensitive, like that was tough to play, but it was, I don't know. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't bad, but then somebody pushed us toward what front lines, front lines. Uh, yes. Which is a game that's gone viral a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. That's made by a small group, a small studio over the last, you know, four or five years that, uh, essentially looks like call of duty. And when I mean like looks like call of duty, usually when people think of Roblox, understandably, you think of the blocky Lego style, creatures that uh popularized a lot of the aesthetic of roblox um and the reason that po- that aesthetic is really popular is because that's just the aesthetic of roblox and it's it's it makes sense that you'd make something riffing off that when you're making you know your whatever game or experience you're building uh inside roblox but this Frontlines, is just a like a fully competent uh realistic looking shooter that i you know I'm not saying it's going to replace Warzone, Rob, but like it played fine. Like we had a fun round. I the grenades are maybe crucially the it was free <laughs> and it was free. Um, but it looks incredible and runs runs uh, completely in the other direction from your expectations of what what Roblox is. I mean, Roblox at its core is just a development platform and a set of tools. And the aesthetic has sort of become dominant um, in people's minds of what Roblox is. But in theory, it can be whatever you want it to be it is it is you know it is a constrained unity or unreal engine um but it is it can function similarly if you if you choose to go that route um and yes we spent a a round beating up on some you know eight-year-olds on their lunch break um uh although i don't what was the name someone carried us i mean we did fine but it was like oh uh, my bum into nuts or something yeah it was something like that yeah someone like that that got around the filter um in in roblox was able to uh have like 27 kills it was it was truly remarkable yeah uh it was it was nifty. I think the the thing that jumped out at me is, and I suppose like for a kid, that like maybe you have infinite patience for like navigating this shit. Yes. But for me, it is the um, the frustrating part of it is it's just nightmarishly organized. It's just all over. It's all over the map. Uh, and then since so much of what is in there is like ripoffs of popular games or properties, uh, a lot of things, things are like keyword optimized to like sort of funnel you toward like their game, uh, you know, and so you end up like with any conceivable search, it felt like you ended up with so much 
uh, dross to sort through uh, before you could sort of unearth like what are the things that people actually and they and they have like you know they're the they do show you like you know what's popular what what ratings are are things getting but it did just feel like wow it seems like there's a potential for so much really cool shit here. And finding that really cool shit is going to be like crawling across a like army crawling across a parking lot full of broken glass. Uh, right. And now imagine a four year old. Uh, sorry, not like a uh, sorry, Patrick, I assume you supervise your children. I do. Right. She, I think she started using Roblox around Roblox was introduced because like many things are for kids. Her friends were using it, mm-hmm. and then she asked permission to start using it. So I think she started using it when she was five. So uh, I can speak as, a, as an older sister here. My younger half-brother um, got into it through YouTube. And like... Yes, th- that is... Uh, that, Minecraft is how she got into to through YouTube, and yeah. uh, Roblox was aided by YouTube as well. That is a huge pipeline. Right, and so... Like, my brother is not playing it with his friends. He's just like, that kid is unsupervised fucking trolling the wastes. Uh, and then there's also <laughs> the, like, the the really interesting thing is the, like, children's program, YouTube children's programming that is not Roblox content, but is based on Roblox. Uh, like, I was, I was, I remember being home for the holidays and, like, watching a, my brother was, like, watching something on YouTube on the TV uh, and it was a video of like real human beings with like, you know, meat and skin, um, wearing <laughs> like Roblox costumes, acting out a popular game from Roblox. Mm-hmm. And like that, that is like the level of cultural capital that this, that this has with children right now, uh, in a way that is like, I'll, I try not to be an alarmist. I try not to be an alarmist. I go about my day. I say, oh, this is fine. Uh, sometimes I it's do fine. get a little bit worried. Sometimes I, it's fine. So I'm only I only think is I'm only worried because like. I think some shit fucked me up. Yeah. See, see, Pat, I think you're like this shit seems fine because like you're in a very functional and like parentally involved engaged house and they're like savvy to this stuff I, but i, I, but I guess i guess like the, the, it exists it exists every generation i just feel yes. like this is a generational thing like oh, yeah there's the thing that fucks us all up this is just the new thing that fucks us all up now yes granted like it's good that i'm observant and like participatory in that process that is probably rare right and i go watch the people make games series on roblox like roblox is a is a bad service like i'm i'm not here to pound the table for to, to defend roblox necessarily right. i guess i just find it within the within the normal parameters of things that's going to corrupt a child and to be fair <laughs> ren you like you mentioning like that video you came across uh your, your half brother watching it reminded me of uh god was this a was this a reply all from ages ago where they were talking about like the dark youtube children's videos where it's like yeah, as yeah. the algorithm just keeps teeing shit up you go from like it turns out that like baby shark is s tier like kid content yeah. and from there you get just like just straight up annoying shit but like you go past the annoying shit and you end up just in the like fields of profound weirdness and like vaguely uncomfortable and sometimes more than vaguely uncomfortable territory more than vaguely uncomfortable they've they have expunged a lot of that it was a huge controversy a couple of years back um there was a lot of reporting uh done on it i I don't even know what to point people towards but i I remember there was a a moment of kind of like crisis at youtube about this sort of material like a lot of it's also like 
it's not AI generated. That's the I'm sure, although it probably could be now, but like it was just like randomized computer generated like topics teeing off. And that led you into like very disturbing territory where to an outside observer, like a, an adult who's watching a kid with their headphones on, it's like, oh, that's just like a mom and a baby. And then like if you were to take the headphones off and like listen, it's like and like the baby's pregnant and like, you know, it's because of the mom got the baby pregnant. Like that's not a specific example, but it is sort of like the weird, disturbing, adjacent yeah. like material that like that stuff could rabbit hole down. And I'm sure it still exists to some extent. Um, and again, that's why you should have half an eye on what your kids are, are watching. But but even with half an eye, it's still half an eye. Like you have to at some point, you know hope you know you have to train your kids to hopefully have the right the other eye themselves well, while they while they go through the muck i guess the other thing i'd say about like just the experience like i just want to find like cool shit on roblox but it's so hard and it's like that's increasingly going to be the norm trying to find anything online is just like as as like search is getting worse as like keyword optimization and just like the ability to generate infinite cruft uh is 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 coming online like it does sometimes feel like the world is increasingly going to feel like you're 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 on the roblox browser or you're deep within amazon marketplace trying to figure out which of these like 20 things is a scam I mean, how often, Rob, do you like go through Steam Steam new releases to try and find something for coverage in like a given like genre? Like, uh, do, do, is that is this a thing that you do? Not very often, no. Because usually it's like I know the games that I want to like. I'm interested in. I am not often like going past like I'm not like two three pages deep in new releases. So I am, and it's useless. Like I, I, I do the work because every once in a while, like you, I, I, I will, I will do this to try and find things. But like it, it is, a, it is a mostly fruitless exercise ninety five percent of the time. Every once in a while, I'll find something okay, but like it, it's dark. It, it, it is, it is, it is not good out here, really, on any platform. And it's only getting worse. Like even, even, um, even Epic, which was like, oh, we're gonna be the ones that are that have standards, um, which is a was certainly a way to put that um it's like well actually we changed our minds uh if you give us a hundred dollars you could be on the platform have fun uh and so they've even they have abdicated like that it was the selling port for their platform and they're like nah we're not doing that shit anymore uh, that is too much work to actually moderate our platform properly stupid but also like well, i mean I, you know remember some years back steam was like what instituting like increased fees to like list your game on steam and that turned into a whole like accessibility blow up and they kind of like walked back uh like from a lot of that if memory serves but it is like what was the um there's that like sci-fi short fiction uh contest that also just like melted down in the last like couple weeks because mm -hmm. they were just swamped by ai generated shit and so they're like, well, we're going to have to institute like a filing fee for these things and immediately turned into you, you, you come back to that. Like, OK, well, we are back now in the realm of uh, for some people, this is a trivial expense. For some people, it's not. And now, like the people who can't afford to enroll in this, like are sort of shut out. And it's a similar thing. But a lot of it is is being driven by the ease of access uh not just to platforms but like the ease with which you can just generate drac yeah well you know what at least at least we all know how 
the uh, large language models that are doing all of this operate and we have really strong insight into the corpus that they have access to and yeah. the actual like structures that they're using uh, uh sorry i'm I, i'm being informed that chat gpt4 is, is private and they're not releasing any of that information oh oh no oh this is terrible oh bing was using it for the last three weeks oh oh no stupid yeah it's uh yeah, it, it, like in, in some ways, like I think the sort of the the randomness and shittiness of like a, a, a browser like Roblox is, is unfortunately the direction of things, uh, you know, at least for this current like phase of, of online we are we are entering into. Um, Patrick, last thing I want to hit, uh, you mentioned you've been watching the uh, Double Fine documentary. Yeah, the Psych Odyssey, which was published like as a giant, like 31, 32 part blast all, all at once um, and made by two player productions, which has been more or less an in-house uh, documentary crew uh, alongside Double Fine since roughly the Broken Age Kickstarter, I think is where where that all um, started off. Um, I might have the timeline a little bit off there, but, you know, we're approaching about 10 years of having a crew kind of follow what's been happening at Double Fine and Psych Odyssey is... Uh, essentially, in, it maps the development of Psychonauts 2. The timeline starts a little bit before that um, when uh, the, the studio is uh, doing a VR Psychonauts game. Um, the, the, the pilot episode is about sort of like the development of the original game, the origins of Double Fine. Anyway, these are it's they're like 30 to 40 minute episodes that tell these little arcs about uh, what it is like to be at the studio and make a video game and... You know, we just had a long conversation about uh, the yellow marks on crates in Resident Evil 4. If you want to sit and watch people have not that conversation, but things that are like that. And why do studios arrive at those conclusions for the games that they make and why games are so messy and miraculous? Uh, you know, I just cannot recommend it more highly. I was, I was uh, reading a or listening to part of a podcast that. Danny O'Dwyer did interviewing the the folks that filmed the documentary, and one little fun expert from excerpt from that was kind of you know how much the documentary is like structuring moments to to film like oh there's this meeting happening like we'll be in that um, versus things that are spontaneous. And what was interesting is that uh, one of the filmmakers mentioned that the the the, the studio is now you know. I don't know if they say comfortable, but like they're used to cameras being around that has kind of become part of the flow of working at Double Fine. But then when there are times when people want to have ultra sensitive discussions, like the filmmakers do know how to have access to just like bust into someone's office with like a camera. And they said they would notice times where really sensitive meetings needed to happen. And it's like a door would be closed and they would not be invited. And so it's like it's not unfettered access. It is not as though it is a like security feeds, you know, get, getting every single conversation uh, that happens. But it is darn close um, relative to the kind of access that one normally gets, um, you know, even if you're in a position like ours where in theory you can be connected with developers. Like th most of those things are still very controlled environments um, uh, where you're just at the end of it hoping to get some sort of morsel of insight um, that you can pass on to to your audience um, and sort of enrich our broader understanding of how games are made. And so I just can't recommend it more. I've been watching on my lunch breaks and and uh, I am like fully into it and invested. Uh, 
Uh, and it's just, it's really, really great. And I had, haven't watched the previous ones. I don't have a great explanation for that. Like, it's the kind of stuff that should be catnip to me. But if you've never watched one of them, like, this is a great a great entryway in. Um, it's really, really well done. And it's called uh, Psych Odyssey on, on YouTube. Awesome. Uh, I'll definitely definitely check that out. Maybe I'll add that to my little vacation pile. <laughs> just, in between Resident Evil. Well, you'll finish Resident in. Evil 2. And then just like, I need like a light a break, something cleanser. that's not so intense. Like... Maybe like three or four episodes of Psych Odyssey before I boot up uh, Resident Evil 3. Uh, all right, let's dip into the question bucket before we call it a day here. You can send us all your questions at gamingadvice.com with the subject line questions. Uh, so our first email comes in just because it's uh, it, it seems relevant to what we were discussing uh, a bit here. Uh, hey, Waypoint Dexters. Uh, over the years, it's been fun to hear Patrick's stories with his kids and how they play video games. I've got a seven-year-old and two-year-old, and they've been getting into gaming as both a hobby and as a wider cultural phenomenon. Recently, my oldest has gotten into Minecraft as the YouTube algorithm has guided her to Minecraft content. There you go. Plus <laughs> some of her friends play. Her favorite yeah. game experiences usually uh, are just her vibing in a cool world without much pressure. So playing Minecraft together has been a great experience. We started in survival, but turned off the enemies. So it's been fun uh, to hang out and slowly build things. I was surprised by how hard Minecraft is for such a popular game. There's little in-game guidance of what to do and how to do it, so naturally I turned to the internet to learn some things which turned out to be a challenge of its own. Minecraft guides are either presented as if you know what the fuck is going on, or you've never touched a video game in your life. I'm surprised how much I enjoy playing Minecraft. Some nights if I have a half hour to kill, I'll pop on her world and continue working on the house or mining deeper for better materials. This just in, Minecraft is fun. Anyway, over the past couple months, my daughter has slowly learned how to play the game, and now she's really able to grasp navigating in a 3D space. Previously, she played mostly top-down games like Link's Awakening or Animal Crossing, so moving in 3D was new for her. Using the controller to move with the left stick and look around at the right was challenging at first, but she's got it down pat now. It reminded me of when Halo came out and how weird that felt to play as a teen, but now the twin stick movement is baked into most 3D games. Something else that clicked was menus. She now understands how menus function and items you select in the menus can affect gameplay. Now when she's watching me play Fire Emblem or her mom play Elden Ring, she gets how fiddling around in menus is part of the gameplay. Reflecting on this, I remember not really understanding RPGs as a kid until I played Pokemon and learned how being able to understand and navigate the menus was key to enjoying the game. How did you all fare when you started playing 3D games? What gameplay elements had to click for you to deepen your understanding of how games work? My daughter says she's ready to turn the monsters on in Minecraft. I have my doubts, but she has created a lava river around our base, so maybe <laughs> she is ready after all. Love the pod, fuck capitalism, and organized. Dan from Ontario. That's really good. Uh, I mean, Roblox taught my oldest 3D movement, for sure. Um, you know, like she would occasionally look at a Mario game or play with me, but would get frustrated very easily. And Roblox is what, I mean, Rob, you played with those finicky physics like <laughs> they're not good um but that taught her the baseline of camera movement moving in a 3d space like uh you know distance um sort of like projection um with physics uh all of that came came out of roblox and then when she would go into a a game like a mario i could immediately see like oh like the logics you learned there 
when brought to a game that has like good platforming and movement um she immediately like grasped it in a way that the the, the mario itself was not was not teaching her just because she spent more time in roblox i mean as 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 the youngest person on this podcast uh i grew up with like stick based like move like the first i my first console was a gamecube right like that is what i actually learned on and so with that in mind, like I have only ever, not only ever, but I, I began with 3D movement as a baseline, right? Like I began with like Pokemon XD and like Pokemon at like age probably like five or six. And so like the the learning process is at this point so obfuscated because it has just been, it has been fundamentally integrated into the way that I experience the world and think about systems for so long that I could barely even tell you how we got here. Uh, and like what my initial experiences were. I do remember the first time I played a twin stick shooter, which was Halo. It was Halo 3 in 2006. Um, or no, 2008, because ODST had already come out because I was at a friend's birthday. I remember this. Um, that was the first time I had ever controlled uh, a first person shooter because to that point I had played third person games uh, and games that like PS2 era games that primarily relied on uh, the only one stick for that just before twin stick aiming uh and and third person twin that stick is funny. that is the part that's the evolutionary step that i just edit out in my head yep. was the single stick and it's those games that i'm actually like what the fuck am i supposed to do here if i encounter those control schemes again that's what i learned on yeah. and because that is what i learned on including like you know for example like super mario um uh super mario sunrise so sunshine jesus super mario sunshine for example, is a is a single stick camera game. And so like, honestly, it's a really good way to learn it because you begin to like, oh, cool, this is how I move through a space and this is how I move in different directions. And then you can add camera movement on a little bit later. And then at that point, it's already intuitive, right? You have already figured out how to move relative to camera position as opposed to character position in the world. Uh, I just think like anytime I play a 3D game where the D-pad had some sort of movement function, I like fall out of my chair. Where I'm like, what? Why, what? Why would you do this? Why isn't another? Why isn't just? It's your alternate menu. Uh, so I'm I'm kind of with you, Ren. Where like, so even though like when I was playing games, like I was sort of there as the like advent of 3D games was was unfolding, right? Where it was like you, but conceptually, Wolfenstein is really not that far off from Doom, which is not that far off from Quake, right? Like that's kind of the the arc. And so even though you can say, well, those weren't like true 3D games until like you know you get you you really get into into Quake, uh, yeah. But the the sort of the mental mapping you're doing, the the conceptual work that you're 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 uh, taking on, like. It, it, it all translates uh, for those. For me, like the the jump was actually sort of more abstract uh, logics, right? Like like coming up on like shooters and, and 3D games when somebody introduced me to Civ, and it's like okay, so here are shields, here are wheat bushels, here are like little little heads, and they all denote these little things. And I was like, what? <laughs> that that for me was the more that would like where it got into like. I, coming to it from this from that standpoint of like everything i played is very literal like see monster shoot monster run into room go do thing the first time i was encountering games where it's like okay so this is all abstracted and here's how these systems put together that for me was the like uh you know 
the apes encountering the monolith in in 2001. I, I, I struggle to come up with like a specific instance. You know, obviously the 3D jump to 3D is a like really important one, but I can't think of like a specific story related to wrapping my head around how that worked. But I know that the couple of times that like my wife, who is not really into games, but then it, like every once in a great while, there's one that she finds interesting. The, the, the moment that always stands out was when Left 4 Dead came out. I think the, I don't think it was the original. I think it was in Left 4 Dead 2 uh, came out um, on the on the 360. Uh, and she's like, I, I want to play this game with you. And I was like, OK. And that game, you know, like built in split screen and we're running through one of the sequences. And it was one where you then had to go up either an apartment complex or something like that. But crucially, we ran into a ladder for the first time. And, you know, my wife was still trying to figure out, you know, the twin stick thing. It was new to her and it was like really confusing and overwhelming. And then we get to a ladder and I go up it. And I was like, well, just follow me up the ladder. She's like, what button do I press? I was like, only you look up and then you go forward. She's like, why the fuck would you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. That's a great question. Like, it's never really been posed to me that way. But, um, yeah, I could definitely see why you would not intuitively just think, look up at ladder, move up ladder. That is a very counterintuitive way um, to to, to go about that. And so being presented um, with that in such a straightforward manner was like a good grounding exercise in the things that games take for granted or try to communicate that without that context just (laughs) mean nothing to you. I mean, this is also the this is the Resident Evil conversation we were having earlier, yeah. right? Like this is this is just that conversation again. Like I think about all of the times where, you know, I'm playing something with my girlfriend and like she's like, I don't know where the fuck I'm supposed to go in this space. Like, I don't know what this game is trying to convey to me. And I'm like, oh, it's trying to convey this, 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 this. And like, if you asked me to explain when I learned how lighting is used to like signify where you are supposed to go in a space or, you know, one of a half dozen things or like understanding that a game wants me to explore a space based on how I have entered it and what the camera and pacing are doing while I am in there, right? If you ask me to explain how I, how that chain of connection emerges, I cannot point to the game that does it, right? I think that part it's of the just difficulty brute here, force, like, understanding of, like, a, a language, right? right? Like, at a certain point, um, it, it is just sheer repetition. And I watch this happen in real time with my kid when they, they engage with a non-Roblox-type game, even just like telling her like, hey, there's like other stuff in this room for you to like find, you know, resources or whatever. Um, maybe like a power up. And it's like, nope, I'm out of here. Like on to the next room. And it's like, OK, you know, because why, why should she stick around? I need to go to the next room. Like that makes total sense. I get it. OK, Godspeed. So just a quick thing, because uh, this is an email that's been floating around. I just haven't found the occasion to read it, but it's it's sort of relating to this. Hey, Waypoint crew, some recent discussions had me thinking about controller and keybind setups and reminded me of my youth, specifically playing a couple little games called Descent and Descent 3. I know Rob and others are familiar with the Descent Free Space spinoff games, but the original series is lighter on the flight sim side because your first person to you futuristic space fighter remains perfectly stationary while you aren't actively moving. I'm pretty sure the series was made for 90s and early 2000s joystick dads and could, if necessary, be played with a mouse and keyboard. I did neither. For some unexplained reason, when I played this game as a child and into my teens, I played these games tagged Six Degrees of Freedom using only a keyboard. In perhaps the most deranged keyboard setup known to man, to give you an idea, we're talking A for forward, Z for backward, left and right arrow keys to turn, up and down, for pitch and yaw, left control and spacebar for primary and secondary weapons, respectively, 
left alt and right alt for respective left right strafing. I'm putting my fingers on these spots. <laughs> Try, trying to Q and E for up down strafing. On account and on and on and on to account for maps, flares, weapon select, afterburners, etc. When my friend met someone who worked on the descent games of the convention, they were apparently upset when this keyboard setup was described to them. I can't even contort my adult hands to match the control scheme now, but I stuck with it for years as the correct way to play these types of games. Incredible. Uh, to make a long story, uh, to make a long story a short question, have any of you ever had a weird comfort control setup that weirdly worked for you for an incredibly specific style of game, or you find yourself swapping key binds and controller layouts to match legacy setups from Touchstone, game, Touchstone games that stick with you and just somehow feel better to use? Thanks and all the best. Clip. I will say this about Descent. Um, Great game. Love Descent. Oh, and Descent is awesome like soundtrack. That Six Degrees Freedom stuff is not bullshit. Like Descent is a game mm-hmm. where like. There is no real, like, ground orientation in that game. Like, it's, it's meaningless uh, in, in terms of how you zip around these these levels. And so it is a, like, keeping the, the level architecture in your head is wildly challenging and disorienting. And, yeah, like, that, you were always sort of juggling these control options uh, in, in your head and, you know, I think I bet you a lot of people played using those keybinds uh, because a lot of folks like were slow to. I was slow to move over to mouse look. Uh, you know, it was it was available in some games, but it took me a while to warm up to it because like keyboard controls were. For instance, I always found Doom way easier to play uh, just using the arrow keys and like uh, you know the the control and spacebar. Always found that easier to play than like using the mouse to steer the little dude around. And so I can imagine a lot of people in Descent, uh, playing Descent, like use some weird control setup for it. But that that's an example of like, I don't think they, I, I still don't think they make many games that like demand that sort of spatial reasoning and like comfort. Uh, you know, like Descent was like, we can make 3D games. We're going to do a fully 3D game and, you know, we're going to do the Ender's Game thing of like the enemy's gate is down or up, whatever. It's all relative. And that hasn't really caught on because it is a huge amount to juggle. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of cognitive load. Uh, w- something that comes to mind was like before games settled on um, like inverting like direction, like we're like or, or the way they do it is like, hey, look up here. Hey, look down there. That's what your preference is. There would be times where I wasn't like I'd start a game. And I'd be like, well, this feels a little bit weird. Most this would often happen in like flight games. Oh, it's yeah. like, this doesn't feel natural. And then I'd reverse it and I goes like, but this doesn't feel natural either. Which is the one I like? Like I don't yes. know. And like that's why when games finally just settled on instinctually tell us what your finger wants to do and your brain wants to do, then we'll lock it and we'll map that. And so this is not a problem that anyone has anymore. Um, because games are usually just asking you for that or putting it easily in a menu. But like I don't know. There were times, I guess it's partially because the introduction of 3D games where I'm just learning what does my, what is my preference in these spaces? Like I didn't have a settled preference. And then when games are going to be the option to change it, I was like, I don't know if this feels better or worse. It's just different. And uh, I just remember a lot of times being confused and I would just like leave it in a spot that didn't feel great. Cause like, I just don't know if the other version is better. <laughs> I'll just stick with it here. 
yeah, I still need inverted Y axis for anything that's like a plane or an aircraft. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like mm-hmm. I, I will work around it in a lot of games because it, it does. It can be a weird leap uh, to suddenly like flip between them. But uh, yeah, it's one of those things where I'm like, it'd be really weird to use the inverted uh, Y axis for a shooter but then the minute it's like and now like climb into this plane and i'm like why the fuck would the thing go down when i like yeah, pull I back on the stick yes. it needs to climb yes 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 um ren did you have a like perverted controller setup i mean i'm i i feel like in many ways yeah i mean like my keyboard already right i was like, gonna say I'm, this I'm is that a defining a trait of ren uh- <laughs> Yeah, I'm like I'm all, I'm already fucked up. I'm like we are starting from the jump in a bad position. We are already compromised. Like if I have to read out my keyboard inputs to other people, they get extremely confused because my uh, W A S and D are A E O and oh god, what's the other one? Uh, it's a period. Uh, and so none of that none of that shit translates in terms of just like actually saying it to people. But uh, playing Guilty Gear Strive on keyboard is rare. Uh, or like, or taking a keyboard, like it is, it is, it translates relatively well over to other control schemes. It's just rare to see people actually do it. Uh, fighting games on keyboard are totally playable uh, and some people really like them. I am one of them. Um, but also like I think about, I've had, I've had pretty, I've had really small hands my entire life. Uh, and so I, I was a frequent user of the claw, uh, among other things. I mean, I played monster hunter on the 3ds, uh, and also remember playing like Playing Monster Hunter on the 3DS with the little nub that they have on the new Nintendo 3DS, the little, do, do, do y'all remember that? The little, the little, this little fucker mm-hmm. right here, uh, the little like nip in the controller that, that, that you use to like, sorry, in the handheld that you use to like actually direct cameras in a lot of games. Um, I, I, I got very used to that uh, and, and was not like a full claw freak, but was like, not too far off. <laughs> the claw. Uh, oh, the claw's so good. Listen, I think mm, more people should have no. to fuck up their hands, you know? No, get out of here. <laughs> get out of here with your weird controls. Let give me ergonomics, thank you. Wait, now I have, I have a tangential question off of this though. What's the weirdest way you've ever held your phone? Hell my phone. Yeah. Hmm? I don't know. Uh, nothing springs to mind. Are you saying this because you're trying to get some weirdness off of your chest? No, I was I was just saying because like I don't think the way I hold my phone is weird, but I don't know. Usually I do like a, a, a this. <laughs> like you, your fingers are fully outstretched. Yeah. You, uh, now, is that related to the fact that the phone is huge? The phone, the fact that my phone is fucking gigantic and I have the tiny hands of a baby child. Yes, yes, it does. Because this is because this is the thing, right? Like I have like. In order to use one hand using a uh, pro phone from the Google line, uh, it does require sometimes like I will create a little tripod with the rest of my fingers and then my thumb will be sort of the 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 pecking claw uh, hanging over it. But I can't just like palm it uh, like I could with a with a sensible phone. Yeah, I would. God, I wish. Oh, my God. I hate this device in my hand. Go. You know, 
Let me just quick, 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 quick phone note. The last thing I'll say about the Google Pixel Pro 7, which is which is fucked me, is that this big ass camera outcropping on the back means that the phone slides off of goddamn everything. If you are not putting your phone 100% on a surface, it is going to slide off slowly and so slowly that you will not notice it until it hits the ground. It's infuriating. It's uh, have you already cracked it, chipped no. it? Nope. Okay. Because uh, yeah, also that like the entire body is just like slick plastic it's a weird thing like the whole thing is slick and it's also screen like so much of it is screen I, if i hold a phone hand need be on phone hand hand skin register on phone i only thumb need register on phone make bezel just like no, a little bezel so this is yes this is like again uh things that become almost like ideological design commitments the the notion that like Look at this piece of shit. It's got a bezel. Like, like th- this was cell phone reviews starting a few years ago, right? Like, oh, god damn it. This thing's got a bezel. Oh, I hate the bezel. Need those screens to kind of wrap around. And it's like, bezel can be useful. Like, there's there's reasons sometimes these things are appropriate. Uh, but, yeah. Bezel is friend. Bezel, bezel can be friend. Uh, especially, like... You know, it's like, I guess once you once you've like mounted TV, who cares? Like you're not going to be touching it again. But the whole like edge to edge screen thing is like, well, I need to place I need to be able to like grab it and adjust it and move it without like putting a little mark on the actual like screen that I'll be watching. And that's just not the that's just not the trend uh, in in design. But anyway, uh, you know what? That is a wrap on today's episode of Waypoint Radio. I need to get out of here and get started uh, with my with my vacation. It's Thursday. Go lay down. When people listen to this, it's Friday. Okay. Feel like you're setting you're setting expectations for your contributions tomorrow. <laughs> and listen, if you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, Facebook and YouTube Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Patrick, where can people find you? At Patrick Lupic. Ren. At Ren or Raven. You can also check out what we published on waypoint.vice.com. You could read Ren's piece uh, that she wrote on, uh, oh, God, I always want to call it Forsaken. Like, like, I always want to just call it like Bleak. Like, I could, you could arrange those, na- those words in any order, and I'd be like, that's yeah. a game title. Yeah, just call it Bleak Faith. That's what I call it. That's what I call it in the piece. I gave up on the Forsaken bit. You don't need, hey, hey, if it's your first game, you don't need a colon in there. You don't. You really don't ble- call it the words. <laughs> hey, how bleak is this faith? Uh, it's forsaken. Like you have no idea how grim this game is. But uh, Ren- Ren's piece is helpfully titled "How Plagiarized Animations Sold by Epic Marred a Promising Souls Likes Launch." Uh, so, so check that out. And hey, thanks to Waypoint Plus, we've been able to have a bunch of fun streams lately. Uh, you know, as we alluded to, the Dirty Boys were cleaning up Midgar, uh, helping the Shinra Corp uh, get you know get get its stuff you know ready for ready for action, and helping. Tifa sorted out a truly disgusting situation in in that bar. Uh, I was not I was not impressed with the state of that the state of that place. And uh, yeah, we also played some Roblox. And uh, tomorrow, uh, Ren and Patrick will be playing <laughs> Exo Primal. Oh, Ren and Patrick will nailed it. <laughs> yeah, interesting how interesting how he put that, Ren, huh? Yeah, that's cool, Rob. I will have important business things to attend to.
Whoops! I seem to have slipped into a half a bottle of scotch. I will be. I will be. uh, I will be syncing up and circling back uh, and discovering synergies and Mm -hmm. uh, coming up with actionables Mm -hmm. and deliverables uh, while y'all are streaming Exoprimal. Ah, I'll be very busy, so don't message me. And hey, uh, for Waypoint Plus listeners, uh, you'll be able to listen to the latest episode of sports. And uh, Patrick, you see Woj posted that Alonzo Ball's having another knee surgery. Yeah, that poor guy. That sucks. And he might might be out the entirety of next season. This sucks, man. The worst. It's brutal. Uh, But anyway, if that sounds good or you just want more Waypoint, you go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Not only do you get access to our premium feed, but you're also helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here. And if you want to show not just support, but zeal, go to waypointgeneralstore.com and buy some of our fine Waypoint merch. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. This episode was produced by Michael Hermes. Uh, For now, we are calling time on this week. We will talk to you again next week until then fuck capitalism go home mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market